the glory that you deserve, the glory that is not ours because of your great love and your great redemption of us. Amen. Well, over the last uh, couple of weeks, my family and I struggled through some illness um, based on some of the conversations that I've had with you over the last couple of weeks. I think this is where many of us have been. We've been ill with different sorts of sicknesses, infections, tiredness. That seems to be what most of us spent our December doing in amongst other things as well. And I had a sinus infection, and, uh, and so it kind of felt like for about a week or so, my head was between a wrench and someone was squeezing it with a little sly smile on their face. Uh, of course, my wife says, well, that's just man language for, um, you know, a little bit of pain. But anyhow, I wasn't thinking all that well in, in mid-December. So I, I, if I left you a phone message or if I emailed you during that time and it was incoherent, you know, here's a, here's a late apology for that. But I think all of us have been there where whether it's a migraine headache or illness or fatigue or whatever, you're just not in your right place and, and so I, on one of those days where the world was a little bit foggy, um, I thought, you know what, it's my day off, but I feel terrible, but there's still responsibilities, and so maybe a quick trip to Home Depot is what we need here. And so I took my two-year-old daughter, who was also ill, and this was a quick project, okay? This was just a very quick stop. I was going to go to Home Depot, in and out, and then on my way home, I was going to drop by the grocery store, pick up some medication and some juice, right? The typical thing to help your family through the weekend. So get my daughter in the car seat, all that stuff, drive to Home Depot. I get out of the car. I grab my list. I got my keys. I got my phone, and all of a sudden, I realized I don't have my wallet, and that was an extremely fun discovery at that moment. And it, it just made me realize, oh, I'm not thinking right. So I'm just about to get back into the driver's seat to drive home when my mind, amazingly, it starts to work again. And I think, wait a second. Maybe I can get what I need without my wallet. Maybe there's some way I can buy what I need without any money. Now, the obvious answer to this, to this question is, a credit card, Keith. Hello, right? But I keep all my credit cards in my wallet. I don't have any blank checks or hundreds of dollars worth of cash in my glove box in my car. So that didn't, that didn't help me. And as I thought more about what I could do in this situation so I could be as efficient as possible, which is one of my, my number one values in life, um, I, I thought, started to think, you know what I really want to do? Because literally what I was buying was very inexpensive. What I'd like to do is I'd like to go into Home Depot. I'd like to show them what I'd like to buy. I would like to explain my situation, and then I would like to write them an IOU. I would like to say, you know what? Here's who I am. Here's my number. Here's my information. I'll be good for it. I just forgot my wallet. Can you just let me take the product home, and today or tomorrow later on, I will give it back to you. And it made me feel like a character named Lloyd Christmas in the movie Dumb and Dumber, right? An IOU is as good as money. Now, of course, an IOU is not as good as money. Um, an IOU is just a, a piece of paper. And an IOU, in the context of this movie, it really is not as good as money because the two characters there show a consistent inability to do some of life's most basic tasks. And so they take stolen money and they replace it with a whole bunch of IOUs. Now, an IOU is only as good as the person who makes it. If it comes from someone who we know, someone that we trust, someone who's capable of paying us back and doing it quickly, 
Well, it's almost as good as money, but not quite. Have you ever loaned money to someone and then waited for them to pay you back? I'd be surprised if there's anyone in this room who had never loaned someone money. It's just something that, that we do. We loan them an article of clothing. We, we pay for something. We owe them a larger sum of money. And then we have that, that time lapse in between, which for me personally, we're all wired differently, I know, but that can be a little bit awkward, right? I, I find myself thinking, do you remember that you owe me something or do I have to do the awkward question of reminding you because the conversation wasn't a gift, it was a loan. And, and then whenever the conversation happens to come up about money, you kind of think, do, are they accounting what they owe here back in the equation or they've forgotten it? What are, what are we doing exactly right now? But let's turn the tables the other way. How do you feel when you owe someone else money? What's it like to give out an IOU? Do you secretly hope that they'll forget about it? Do you make a plan for how you'll pay it back? Do you communicate the timeline of when that person will get the money back? An IOU is just a simple way of tracking a debt. And most of us, uh, pretty much everyone that I know, has some debt of some kind. We've got a car loan. We have a mortgage maybe some credit card debt that has added up. If you really think about it, the last few transactions that you've made on your credit card, even if you're going to pay it off at the end of the month, that's kind of like an IOU, right? Like you got what you wanted and it's still sitting there online somewhere, but you haven't actually paid it off yet. It's actually pretty hard to live in our world today without incurring some sort of IOU on a daily basis. It's just sort of the way that our economic world has been set up. But most of these debts, most of these IOUs aren't written on little pieces of paper like napkins or sticky notes. Most of the debts that we have are a little bit more serious. They come with contracts and long pieces of paper and fine print and consequences and interest and a whole bunch of stuff that can change our lives if we don't pay attention and if we aren't responsible with them. Now, some people struggle with debt. Other people don't. Some people struggle to make the minimum payments every month. Other people never carry a balance to the next month. Some people feel like lending agencies are pure evil. They're at the bottom rung of society. Other people feel like, no, they're just doing business. But no matter what you think about debt, no matter how you feel about debt, the concept of borrowing is a major part of our lives. It's part of what makes our system here and in Canada and in North America and most of the Western world, it's just how we do things. It's how we trade goods and services. It's pretty hard to do most anything, pretty hard to buy something without giving some sort of an IOU to someone. And because this practice is all around us, because in a sense for some of us, especially those who, who are younger, it's kind of all that we know, we're left with the decision to make. How will we choose to live? How will you choose to live in the midst of kind of the the financial world that we live in? Will we borrow money the same way that everyone else does? Is there anything wrong with taking out a loan? Is there anything wrong with owing more money than we can pay back? Now, a group of this size here at the Langley Event Center, we're not all going to answer the same way to these questions. And your opinions have certainly been shaped throughout your lifetime by how you were raised, by your spending habits, to how you were taught or weren't taught by others, how your emotions get wrapped into this, what you value when it comes to 
uh, how you manage your money. But I want to suggest that for those of us who have chosen to follow Jesus, our value system ought to be shaped by his teaching. Because otherwise, we aren't really followers of Jesus. We're just followers of ourselves. And if you find yourself in this camp, a follower of yourself, and yet intrigued about what Jesus and other writers of the Bible mean by their, their messages on finances and debt, I think you'll find this to be a very practical message for your lives. We believe here at our church that all truth is God's truth, which means that God has ordered our world according to a number of certain principles. It's our choice. We can choose to live by these principles and reap the benefits and have a number of blessings that come with it, or we can overlook these principles and be faced with some consequences that not are always all that much fun to live by. Now, if you've been in any church setting for a while, certainly here at Jericho Ridge, you've probably heard that Jesus talked about money a whole lot. Based on what we read in the four gospel stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus talked about money more than any other topic except for the kingdom of God. More than a quarter of his parables talk about money. And if Luke happens to be your favorite gospel story, you're in luck because the topic of money appears in one out of every seven verses on average. So he talks about this a lot. It's almost like his go-to topic. But the funny thing is that Jesus said basically nothing about debt. For all of his talk about the value of money and and how um, to be leery of what greed can do in your life and how you can't serve both God and money, Jesus basically says nothing at all about paying back what you owe or not getting yourself in debt or, or being leery of what that whole topic looks like. He, didn't, he did tell us that we should be concerned about the powers of greed, but he didn't tell us that we should never lease a car. Instead, Jesus just named what was out there. Some people borrow, some people get into debt, These things happen. And we find out that the economic world that Jesus lived in is actually pretty similar to what you and I experience as far as borrowing money, paying back money, people being hurt and hindered, people succeeding in that sort of world. But just because Jesus didn't talk specifically about debt doesn't mean that this topic isn't important. I'm sure that all of us have heard stories of how debt has hurt people's lives, made things very difficult. You might even be one of these people. And maybe you've experienced how owing money or being in debt can restrict other things in your life that you really want to do, like being generous, for example, which is the topic of our series. Not just being generous with your money, but being generous with how you use your time, how you use your gifts and abilities. No no matter how generous you would like to be, debt will limit your capacity to be generous. It's a pretty major roadblock in our capacity to be generous generous. But the good news is that there's a number of valuable principles that we find in the Bible that speak directly about the topic of borrowing money and what it means to live wisely. I'm going to look at two this morning, and the first comes from the Apostle Paul's writing in Romans chapter 13, verse 8. So if you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 13, verse 8. You got the four Gospels, then the book of Acts, and then the book of Romans. So in chapter 13, verse 8, this is what Paul says. He says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for he who loves his fellow person has fulfilled the law. Let no debt remain outstanding. I want to give uh, credit to an author named Gene Getz who wrote a book called Real Prosperity. 
Biblical Principles of Material Possessions. I saw Altison this morning, and I thanked him for that book once again. He loaned it to me. Actually, he just gave it to me. It's not a loan. Um, it's, it's mine, right, Al? <laughs> we have to have another conversation later then. But he loaned it to me a couple years ago, and I've been reading bits and pieces of it. And Okay, uh, now it's mine. Whew, boy, I thought I'd gotten out of debt this week, but uh, apparently not. Um, what's, what's, what's amazing about this book is, is he, looks about the, he looks at the whole topic of stewardship and generosity throughout the scriptures, and he comes up with themes. And he did it with a, a community of people. He didn't do this in isolation. And so I used a, a number of materials for, for these texts that I'm looking at this morning. And what he points out about this verse, if we can get this verse up there on the screen there so we can all see it, Romans 13, 8. At face value, it looks like being in debt is, is always a bad situation. Borrowing money is always wrong. But this doesn't actually seem to be the application if you look at what is said and what is not said. Instead, what Paul seems to be indicating in the principle here is that if you owe someone money, you should pay them back. It's not necessarily that debt is somehow wrong, or if you are in debt at a particular time, that you are somehow out of God's will. It just simply means if you owe someone, then you should pay them back, which really is the underlying assumption of an IOU, right? An IOU means I owe you something and I will return that to you. It means the borrower will repay the lender. And in and of itself, borrowing money is not inherently wrong as long as there's a plan and the means to pay the loan back. But listen carefully. If there's no plan and if there are no means Borrowing is not just foolish. It begins to teeter on the edge of both lying and stealing. Now, that's something we, we never hear in, in our economic system, that if you don't pay back here, that, that technically you're, you're a thief or you're stealing. But if you look at some of the biblical principles here and what Paul is saying of if you owe somebody something, pay them back, I think it's one of the consequences that we need to really think about. We get close to this concept of if I have no plan to pay you back, if I have no intention or priority or means to do that, then it very much could be both deceiving that person and stealing as well. What Paul says in this verse is probably the clearest instruction that we have about debt. If you owe someone something, pay them back. And if you look at the context of what he says in Romans 13, you find out that this includes paying your taxes as well, fulfilling the responsibilities of being a citizen in the country and the city that you live in. Now, Paul's comments about debt are fairly neutral. He doesn't say that debt should always be avoided. He just tells us to pay back what we owe. But there's another verse that I want to look at and gives us a clear picture of what happens when we get ourselves in debt. Paul talks about what to do when we are in debt. If you are in a situation of being in debt, this is the principle. You need to work on some sort of plan to pay back what you owe. That's your responsibility. But in this next text, the author tells us what we should consider before we put ourselves into debt. So especially for you younger people who are just kind of figuring out how the world of money works, for those of you maybe who aren't in debt or your debt is very much in a responsible manner of of your life, pay close attention what we're going to see in this next verse, which is in Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs is written by a man named Solomon, uh, recognized as one of the wisest men who ever lived. And this is his collection of principles, uh, wise sayings to order your life around. So in chapter 22 of his book in verse 7, he has a two quick points that he ties together in one verse. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. 
And it's the second part that I want to look at here. The borrower is slave to the lender. Just like what Paul writes in Romans, this verse does not give us a moral statement. The act of borrowing is not condemned. We're not told that borrowing is always wrong or that it's sinful in every situation. In fact, you and I may find in our lives, perhaps we have in the past, that borrowing is necessary at sometimes. Other times it might even be wise or strategic. But while this verse doesn't give us a moral judgment, it does give us a practical consequence. A borrower is a slave to their lender. Every time a person borrows, they put themselves in the position of having to answer to their lender. They're accountable for what they owe, and they are tied to this debt and the terms of their debt until their debt is finally paid. So let's personalize this from kind of the third person, debt, loan, lender, giver, all that sort of stuff to to you and I, what it means for us. When you borrow, you become a slave. When you choose to borrow, you voluntarily become a slave to those terms. This is the consequence of borrowing. It might not be necessarily wrong, but it does come with a cost. It might be a cost that you can afford. It might be a cost that's very realistic for you. It might be a cost that's completely worth it to you, but there is a cost. You lose a little bit of your freedom when you borrow, because when you borrow, you become a slave. And there's a principle that comes from that point that helps us uh, understand how we should go back deciding whether or not to get ourselves involved in a borrowing situation. Here's the principle. Any kind of borrowing carries a certain amount of bondage. Any kind of borrowing carries a certain amount of bondage. The greater the risk, the greater the bondage. The smaller the risk, the smaller the bondage. Borrowing $100 is different than borrowing $50,000. Borrowing from a friend is different than borrowing from a lending agency. Borrowing for a short amount of time is different than borrowing from a long time. One's not necessarily better than the other. They're just different. They're different risks. This is why debt can become so dangerous. It comes with a risk, which is another way of saying it comes with bondage. Now, risk isn't a bad thing. It just needs to be factored into the, repu- in, into the, the whole equation of whether or not to borrow. So the question to consider in our lives is what you have to do, what you're going to do in every situation. You need to ask yourself this question. Am I borrowing responsibly? Am I borrowing responsibly? Do I have a realistic plan for how I'm going to pay it back? Am I prepared for what might happen if the worst possible situation should happen? The wise thing to do is to consider all the factors because any kind of borrowing carries a certain amount of bondage. And this bondage comes with a weight that impacts much more than our net worth, much more than our financial lives, much more than than the potential that we have. It can actually alter how we think about ourselves, how we think about others, how we relate to God himself. I spoke earlier this week with Dustin Morin, who is one of our covenant members here at Jericho Rich, and uh, he has uh, a history um, of getting into financial debt and the struggles that that's had in his life. And I was just blown away by how much he's learned about himself and the world and how much he relates to God. And even now, as he's going through that journey, what all of that means to him. So Dustin, thanks for being willing to, to speak with us this morning. 
Uh, this was just the intro piece. Uh, Dustin's really going to provide the bulk of, of the teaching because what he has to say is, is pretty amazing. And so I hope you give him your great attention and take down a lot of notes because he's given this a considerable amount of thought. Hey, well, good morning. Um, wow, this is completely different being up here you know, on a Sunday playing versus speaking. Got my hats off to you for doing this on a weekly basis. Um, so to begin with this morning, without going into the, any of the unnecessary details, I think it's a fair statement to say that my life has been a cyclical, persistent pattern of financial struggle through foolishness, disobedience, uh, misplaced priorities, and general circumstances. Um, and there's been irreversible damage done in nearly every aspect of life. And honestly, this will be true for the rest of my life, even after the financial circumstances have been dealt with. The stresses and the anxieties of carrying unmanageable financial debt have resulted in physical as well as psychological health issues that have impacted my life. Depression, distorted perceptions of reality, debilitating fear, and a general inability just to cope with the demands of everyday life. Um, and this, these have all been symptoms of this stress. And in fact, this is a common reality for many people facing significant and prolonged financial pressures. And perhaps there's individuals here today in this congregation who are experiencing these types of struggles and stresses and symptoms, uh, and maybe it's even you. But my hope is that what I'm sharing today will bring conviction, that it will bring encouragement, with a willingness to honestly reflect on the reality of our hearts. Now, however difficult the uh, physical and the mental sufferings have been, I'll tell you that the spiritual impacts of debt have been far more devastating. Intense feelings of unworthiness and shame give birth to sin as I distance myself from God, doubting his mercy and his willingness to forgive and to redeem, and even doubting his existence at times, and that this life in Christ is nothing more than just a pipe dream. During those intense periods of financial distress, prayer life and thirst for God ceases, producing in me prime conditions for sin to take hold and undermine the work of God in my life. And during those less stressful periods, uncontrollable guilt, filling the spaces of my heart, bringing about an unhealthy desire to earn God's forgiveness. And this drives a need to compensate by serving God, by serving this church, and by serving others in very very unhealthy ways. And it's taken nearly 14 years of suffering to identify that the lack of centrality of Christ in my life was at the root of my problems with debt. Like a person who builds his house on sand when the financial distresses and the troubles come, everything would fall apart, only to be cobbled back together on the same unstable foundation over and over and over again. But knowing this truth is completely different than actually allowing it to radically transform the human heart. And if it doesn't lead to action and change in how we think and how we relate to others and to God, such knowledge is worthless. It needs to be applied in our life. Now, the most important realization that I've had in regards to debt is actually related to idolatry. You know, idols are beneath everything in this world around us with the power to corrupt, the power to destroy. We read through the Old Testament, and it's just full of examples of how Israel fall to the idols of their time. 
And even in the New Testament, when Paul comes into Athens and he, the Spirit brings about him to see the idols beneath everything. And our society is not much different. And Jesus talked a lot about money and its proper place in our lives and how easily it itself can become an idol that we serve and we worship. And early on in my life, the tendencies that he warned about played out time and time. And in asking this question, I've already seen that my heart has not yet transformed enough to say that I would be free. There is a propensity for idolatry in me that is breeding an attitude where staying out of debt